Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast. I'm the host of the episode, Joe Carson, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I'm always excited to really meet awesome people and talk about really interesting topics. And I'm sure that, you know, for you, they get a lot of value and a lot of kind of direction and kind of some of your careers and some of the things that you're interested in. And this time we are welcomed with another awesome guest onto the episode. And today I'm welcomed with Merica. Uh, Marika, do you want to give us, uh, the audience, a little bit of background about yourself, what you do, and uh, some interesting fun facts? Absolutely. And thank you, Joe, for having me on this on this particular podcast. So my name is Marika Keo. Um, I have stopped thinking and questioning why I love cybersecurity so much, but I've been in the industry for over 25 years. I started first with uh, building networks and backbones. And then back in the late 90s, I instigated the first security initiative at Cisco Systems, and that started my foray into my 2025-year 20, career into cybersecurity. And uh, I used to travel the world teaching vendors and organizations about security, creating security strategies. And in recent years, I've been a CISO in some companies or a CTO of some cybersecurity companies. And uh, I don't just sit in the front of the computer all the time. I actually, in the winters, I love uh, downhill snow skiing, and I love to be at the beach and just also hike a lot. So just to get outdoors and actually get away from technology at times. Fantastic. Excellent. Uh, downhill, downhill snow skiing. And I mean, that's not something you probably got from Estonia. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, no, there's definitely no hills in Estonia to do. So that's probably one of the reasons why you did did leave at some point. And the interesting fact for the audience as well is that we have actually done the same role in a particular company in some time in the past, <laughs> So which is, uh, which is an interesting uh, segue. Uh, but one of the most important things, so for today's episode, it's really all about you know your role as a CISO. And we have a lot of, you know, people in the industry who's really aspiring to be a CISO and really, you know, looking to, you know, direct their careers in that path. Um, so one of the things is what, how important has the CISO's role become? And, you know, in, in, especially in today's digital era where every business is very dependent on digitalization, how important is the role today? I think that the role of a, either a chief information security officer or a chief security officer is absolutely critical to every organization. I would say as critical as a chief financial officer, mm -hmm. because over the last two decades, um, as every organization has digitized most of its business environment, um, there are many, many security threats and, and uh, that really you have to be knowledgeable about. And I've think for, from a business uh, operation perspective, cybersecurity touches absolutely everything. So I absolutely. think it's critical. And I also think that it should be more of an executive role. 
Uh, absolutely. And this is really one of the things is that, you know, we always, you know, think about, you know, whether the CFO is more of that person who's making sure that the, the financials of the organization um, are positive and heading the right direction. Um, but in many cases, the CISO's role is the chief revenue protector. <laughs> They're to make sure yes. that, you know, no one's coming in and stealing it. Just just like you do in the old bank days where, you know, you've got somebody um, who's there to make sure that the bank's making money and the other person to make sure that no one's stealing it. And that's really how critical that role has become. Um, you know, one of the things that's really interesting, what, what types of skills is needed? You know, what's the, you know, a lot of times historically, this is always come from a very technical background. Um, um, you know, but what's, what's the important skill set of the CISO today? How has it evolved? And what should be some of the skill sets, for example, moving into the future as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think you're absolutely right. We're probably 20 years ago, the skill set was mostly on a technical focus because uh, people were trying to figure out, okay, how do you actually instantiate the security controls, which were very much on a, on a technical level. But today, you really have to have business acumen especially if you're trying to create business risk strategies that enable the business. And I think another really critical, critical uh, uh, skill is that you, you need to handle crisis situations. Um, and I don't think that a CISO necessarily has to have a technical background. If they have some very good uh, team members that report to them, that can be the sanity check of, of what you're instantiating in terms of technical controls. I think it's more important that they stay calm and focused and logical when a, a critical incident happens and you know becomes a crisis for the company. So I think that along with having business acumen so mm -hmm. that you can uh, be able to discuss with the board what are the business risks and you know how, how the organization is mitigating them to make the board feel comfortable with its overall governance uh, role. I think that is really important these days. Absolutely. For me, I think I think we really have come to the, the pinnacle change in Segway where we need to, it, you know, we talk about focusing about cybersecurity, uh, but I think we probably need to talk more about changing that and adapting it into really focusing about business security because ultimately it's about securing the business, not about securing cyber. Um, and sometimes the terminology kind of, you know, misleads us into what we're really trying to, to do um, and what our role is in the business um, and really we're there as business protectors and, and we should start really focusing it. We're not there to secure and protect technology. That's just one aspect of it. We're really there to protect and make sure that we're protecting the business and the services and the functions and, and the role that the business plays in the industry. Uh, that's where there are some. So sometimes I find that sometimes the use of cyber is a little bit of misleading. Yes, it is the, the space that we live in and the space that we're there to protect. Um, but ultimately the focus should be on the business. It should be on the people. It should be on the data. Um, and that's sometimes where we're kind of sometimes that you know the misleading understanding about the importance of the role. Um, what what things you know in that regards is you know how can the business really help the CISO be successful? Because a lot of times is that you know the CISO needs to have the support, needs to have the structure in the organization to support them. Um, what can the business do to make sure that they are making it possible for the CISO be, to be successful? Yeah, I think the very important part is that uh, the CISO actually has the collaboration amongst the other executives of the organization. Uh, and I think many organizations do have that. Um, some that may be more immature in, in, in how they uh, uh, look at security within and cybersecurity is, issues within the organization. Mm -hmm. 
they may still have the CISO say, hey, you know, you're you're responsible for all of security and it's your your problem. Right. But I think that in today's business needs, that just doesn't cut it. And for the business to be supportive, um, I think also the CISO has to have not only the responsibility, but also the authority right, to make certain decisions and take actions and not be the owner of, you know, all the responsibility, um, but then really have no authority to take action. Absolutely. Because they really are, it's rather than one, you know, it's silo by itself. It's really a cross-functional role that... They're there to make sure that the finance team is doing the right, you know, controls and security implementations. The SEALs teams are doing it. Uh, so in many cases, you know, where historically IT was that single silo, it was, you know, there to take care of technology and applications um, that supported the needs of other, you know, parts of the business. Um, we're now, t- in today, the CISO is, is that cross-functional across all of those. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's so important to have, you know, autonomy and, and authority to be able to make sure they're able to, you know, implement and to collaborate and understand the needs, but at the same time, make sure they're able to enforce the right policies to reduce those risks. So it is really important to make sure. And sometimes the structure and organization, you know, those who might have, let's say, uh, where they're smaller and, you know, they're building up that role, it might be good for that person to report to the CEO for a period of time until the mm-hmm. organization is able to build it out and get it as uh, the right structure and the right policies and processes to make it successful. Um, in more mature organizations, sometimes it is absolutely reporting into the CIO because that's where they have that synergy. Um, but they have to make sure that they have a dotted line back into the executive team, back into mm-hmm. the board uh, when needed. So you're absolutely right. It's 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 so critical because in many cases, if that's not there, um, you know, the CISO can't really uh, make change. They can't really direct you know the organization in the right manner. Um, for, for those who's really, let's say, you know, they're starting off uh, as a CISO or their first time CISOs, um, what, what would you recommend their top focus be in year one? What things should they, you know, think about as the priority or, or should they look to, you know, try to uh, change or evolve in that first year? I, I think that's very dependent on the business, to be quite frank mm-hmm. with you, um, because I think that there's probably different needs and priorities, whether or not you're in the financial industry, retail industry, healthcare industry, what have you. But I think if you're coming in as a CISO, either as a first-time CISO or, you know, if if you're um, following somebody else's footsteps, it's first and foremost important, what is the business risk, right? I I will always come back to that Mm -hmm. because you need to understand what the priorities will be for you to, to do an effective job in the business environment that you're in. And then also you need to understand where, what is the security posture? What is the existing security posture? And also understand what are the motivations for certain threats that will be instantiated in your environment. I mean, ransomware, that's, you know, at the, the ransomware services, they're after money, right? And the target is absolutely everyone. But there may be other uh, uh, reasons that your business or organization may be targeted for cyber attacks. So having an understanding of of where and why, I think that's important also. Absolutely. I think it's really it's really important to make sure that as as you can down that path to understand what the business is and the service that they have. And, and sometimes even starting with a proper good asset inventory discovery, 
you know what what, mm. what not only what does the business have but you know what what systems do they actually have deployed where are they deployed um, who's using them you know having a really good understanding of not just the business model itself but also what's that infrastructure that supports the business and and do you have actually a good inventory and understanding of it all because I'm pretty sure many organizations um, don't have a good solid inventory and uh, you know they sometimes do it static or, or manually um, but not continuously and that's probably you know a major challenge um, so absolutely not just about knowing the business but also knowing what the business has from a technology perspective um, yeah. I, you know, if I may add, one thing that I always found funny is that when people say, oh, I need a firewall and I need, you know, whatever acronym of the day. And then I would come in and say, well, what are we trying to protect? And then everybody's hemming and hawing, right? And I'm like, well, what is the data that is important to your business? <laughs> Absolutely. That's every time I get asked, you know, you know, you know when, when you think about even banks, when banks build, you know, a, a, a structure, they start with a vault first. And then they build everything else outwards because, you know, sometimes it, that's really the essential, most critical part. Um, so for organizations, you know, to your point is that what is what is it you're protecting? Is it data? Is it an application? Is it, you know, um, something physical? Is it intellectual property? Is it code? Is it an application that's been deployed? What is it that you're actually putting in, you know, the security controls in front of? And also at the same time, you want to make it usable and accessible because at the same time, it has to actually have some operational function. Uh, and sometimes putting too much security in place can make it the opposite where you're actually, you know, impacting productivity in the business. And that makes a negative impact and it does create friction. And, and the scissor role sometimes is about is the balance between friction is they mm -hmm. have to make sure that they get the fine line where it's not too much and it's not too less uh, that they have to make sure uh, that they find that right balance. Um, one of the important things that I find is, and there's so many, you know, I do a lot of times, a lot of research and looking at different frameworks out there and there's so many cybersecurity frameworks and depending on what country or what industry you're in um what what frameworks do you recommend for CISOs to try and adopt and there's no one framework that fits everything it's you probably have to take a mismatch of some uh different versions or different ones it's risk focused or control focused or let's say a uh, very holistic focus what which frameworks do you recommend that CISOs really look at and what's the ones that you 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 would look at to, to adopting in yeah, that's again, that's a really good question. Um, and ironically, I had given us uh, RSA talk, I was on a panel, and we were working on this data centric cybersecurity framework. And my role uh, as part of working on that group was why yet another framework? What are all these other frameworks that exist, right? And there's there's more than 20 of them. And, you know, why yet another one? But in my own work, when I'm a CISO, there's two that I specifically look at. One of them is, again, I'm mostly U.S.-based, so it's the NIST cybersecurity framework. But I think that's also being adopted by other geographical regions because it holistically is a very good framework that has business leadership also understanding the five pillars of cybersecurity domains, which is the identity, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Mm -hmm. And then in conjunction with that, I always like to use a framework that is more operational in nature so that uh, you don't just have the overall security governance framework, but you also have some on-the-ground actionable mm -hmm. items. And I usually use the CIS version 8, that's the most current yes, one framework, 
Yeah, and with the two of them, I find that you can create a very good holistic security strategy that deals with operational security controls that then also tie into overall security governance model. But it, depending on what industry you are, you're in, right, you also have to look at the frameworks that are specific to the energy sector, financial sector, healthcare sector, what have you. Yeah, well, I think I, HIPAA or SOC or whether it be yeah. you know, PCI compliance, you know, depending on, and, and, and you could be in all of those areas. You might have, you know, it's not, it's not that you might have just one single framework. You might be in a business that, that all of those apply. Yes, but I do think that tying in NIST with the CIS mm-hmm. is a really good foundation. I absolutely agree because I, I always look at it, you know, and, and so the talk at RSA I think was great because it gave you that, you know, the on the ground, you know, close to the, to the kind of the, the business model and then the, that 50,000 foot view. Uh, but it's really important to have, you know, frameworks that one is help you create a strategy, a strategic focus that is around kind of what you're doing now and what you need to be doing a lot in the future and where you need to be going in the direction. And then you've got that operational thing, the day-to-day stuff that still needs to be done. Um, and you know the more tactical and actionable side, and absolutely. So for for me, I, I do see that you know both the NIST and the CIS uh, con- security controls do apply in both of those areas really well. Um, and it really comes down to you know I think for me, I also like that a lot of those uh, frameworks have adopted also a risk based approach uh, because yeah. that was something that was missing for a long time. Was that um, especially when you when you apply things like CVEs, it, it doesn't it just gives you a, a an idea of a assumed score. It doesn't really mean that that's the same score that everyone has. It's not the same risk to every organization. And that's where the risk approach come in where it's really about, well, how does that impact me? Is that is that system public facing or is it internal only? Mm-hmm. What other controls do I have in play? Um, and this is really where I, you know the risk portion is so critical in, into those, um, the strategic and operational side, because it allows you to tailor it much more uh, to the business as you mentioned previously, that. You know, it's really important to make sure that you map to the business and don't do these in a bit of a silo. Um, so tell, tell me a little bit more about your talk at RSA, um, because I thought I found it very inside. It was packed, <laughs> I have to say, that, uh, and such a great panel. Um, what was kind of, you know, you talked more about, you know, being a data-centric model side of things. Um, why is that important? And, uh, you know, wh- why is it important to kind of, you know, look at it from a data aspect? Sure. Yeah, I was really happy with the RSA panel, and I'm really happy with the work that the data-centric cyber maturity model uh, is is actually sorry is actually doing. (laughs) So um, yeah, sorry, gets you know get a little bit tied up when you're talking so much, but (laughs) um, yeah. But the RSA talk, um, what we wanted to do was to raise the awareness that there is work now ongoing to create a new framework that really looks front and center at data. Mm-hmm. Because the realization is that um, really all of the frameworks and all of the security controls that you're trying to put into place, the what you're trying to protect is the data, whether or not it's intellectual property, whether or not it's code, right? It's all data. And most of the frameworks that exist um, kind of implicitly look at data, but not not specifically. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to take a look at, at you know what is missing in all of the other frameworks. And this data-centric cybersecurity framework is really a, a companion to most of the other frameworks that exist. And as I was mentioning earlier um, in our conversation, that one of my roles in this work was also starting to look at all the other frameworks 
and looking at the gaps that this new framework now is trying to identify. And, yeah. and I also want to mention that that talk actually came out of Sunil Yu's work where he created the cyber defense matrix. And mm-hmm. what he's trying to do and, you know, getting a groundswell of, of individuals to be part of this is to take a look at data, also networks, application, um, users, and trying to create a cohesive way to articulate uh, the security of uh, applications or services so that people will understand from the, the plethora of products that exist where they tie into protecting either applications, data, users, network, um, from a holistic viewpoint. Can you mention a little bit about the, what the tech tree you know, method was? Because um, I think you know, one of the, I, I find that part very insightful as well. Because um, there's 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 a, there's a right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things. Um, so we can mention a little bit about the, what the tech, tech tree process was with that that part of the framework. Absolutely. Um, anybody that's been doing security for a while knows that there really isn't a cohesive structure to doing security. And so what the tech tree is trying to do is it's trying to identify interdependencies and the sequence by which you could have a a, a strategic uh, focus on cybersecurity. So as you were mentioning earlier, when you're looking at most companies, sometimes they haven't even done the classification of the data, right, to do the inventory. And really, realistically, that's probably the first thing you should do, right? What data do I have? Where is it? You know, is it something I need to protect or not? before you actually put in the protection mechanisms. So this tech tree is trying to articulate the overall dependencies and also the sequence of steps to be able to pr- uh, provide the security services within an organization. Absolutely. So, so you know, to, to, to kind of your point, it's like doing a vulnerability assessment on the data that you have versus the data that you really do have. <laughs> uh, exactly. And, and, and uh, in many cases, it, what, it really means that you have a good, much more clear understanding of the scope of things. Um, exactly. And that's the challenge that many organizations face is sometimes they'll do it on what, you know, what they have or what they believe that they have and, and, and it, until they do an inventory. I mean, I have a great example. Years ago, um, I, I was involved in a lot of you know, IT asset management side of things. And one great example I remember was that it was a massive organization, really large organization, over 100,000 uh, uh, endpoints uh, and employees, hundreds of thousands of employees. And they wanted to basically, they, they, they assumed that their spreadsheet um, that said they had 120,000 uh, desktop and laptop assets, mobile devices and so forth. They had 120,000. And that's what how many licenses that they needed to purchase. And that's how much they, you know, their uh, OS licenses and application licenses said that they had 120,000 devices. And that's not including servers or anything. That's just the, the end user side of things or, or applications. And ultimately, I was like, no, no, no. We need to go and do a proper asset inventory. We need to really look at what is on your network and what you really do have. And they were adamant. And after going back and forward a couple of, quite a few times, we finally got to the agreement, let's do a proper discovery. Let's go in and do an automated discovery to really find out what assets you really do have. And after doing it, it was a couple of a few months of doing this inventory side of gathering and understanding about what was in the environment. And it came back 140,000 systems. They had 20,000 more devices that they didn't know that they had. 
And the, the ironic thing was that these were devices that they were not patching, <laughs> they were not protecting, they didn't even know they had. And when we did the calculation, the energy saving alone just for those systems paid for the deprovisioning process and even the solution that they were going to buy, the energy saving just by itself. And that was impressive that you know these were devices. The problem was that as, as employees got new devices, the old one, rather than being deprovisioned, it slightly moved over to the side of the table and then was used as, you know, a, a it had the legacy applications so they could still use those when they needed to. It had the old data uh, that they go back and reference or they could use it for getting around and playing games or accessing things that their new device uh, was protected against. So there was really just a kind of process that they just hadn't got a good deprovisioning process. So 20,000 more devices. And I always get into that. I always remember that, 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 that case that it really highlights when it, it sprawls over a long period of time. If you're not doing it, you know, consistently, proactively, if you let that you know, problem, uh, you know, accelerate, that twenty thousand machines—that's that's, that's an, a large organization by itself. <laughs> it, <laughs> from, oh yeah. <laughs> they remind, you know, you know it, it it looked at you know a small blimp for them. <laughs> it's a big uh, blimp for many organizations. I I have a more recent example, and this speaks to cloud instances. Mm -hmm. Right? How many people actually or organizations do a, a survey of really how many cloud instances that they have? And you know, and that that's a lot of money, right? Or that's what you know, you you have to understand what you have in place, either from systems, from data, and, and the cloud instances, I can tell you there's organizations that are wasting a lot of money by not knowing what instances they have. And even worse, what instances may not be decommissioned if they're no longer needed that can then be used by threat actors, right, for some attack surfaces. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a growing major area is definitely, what, you know, cloud environments and hybrid cloud environments where you've got, you know, and, and even employees going and getting their own instances yes. <laughs> outside of the organization's <laughs> main domain. Um, and they end up having all these micro silo, you know, kind of instances all over the place with, uh, different configurations and no consistency. Um, and then somebody goes and implements some type of data sharing between those, like an API call, and then data is going back and forward unnoticed by the organization. And this causes a major issue. And that's where you get into a lot of cloud lateral moves, privilege escalation, and data leaks, uh, just because employees have the ability to go and create their own, <laughs> own environments quite easily. Um, and uh, many cases, that's where even cloud, the uh, shadow IT problem, is a bigger problem than when it was on-premise. Um, you've got this massive shadow cloud problem now. Um, so absolutely, this is a it's a, it's a growing area for sure. Um, for, for, for this is a you know what what's your way of staying educated? Uh, is there any good reading materials that you'd recommend? Um, is there any good kind of webinars or, or good uh, educational areas? What, what what's the the area of education or recommendation that you would you know have for CISOs uh, to stay up to date. Um, you know, it's it's a multi-pronged uh, area, and and to be quite honest, I think nothing beats uh, personal relationships and networking. So going to conferences like the Black Hats, DefCons, uh, RSA, where you know there are a lot of CISO type uh, meetups, but also more technical ones. 
and I think those are really critical, right, to meet and really discuss things that you might not even talk about, uh, you know, over the phone or any kind of medium, right, and really to stay current. But I think that there's some really good blogs out there that have existed for a very long time, like mm-hmm. with uh, um, uh, Brian Krebs, for one. Um, and I, I find that security researchers are now writing more books. And I'm sorry, I don't have the, the names right now, but Mikko Hyppinen wrote one. Yes, I, Con- yeah. secure and connected and smart. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think, you know, everything that's connected is vulnerable. Yeah. I believe that's yeah. a title of a book. And then, um, you know, looking at uh, former CISOs or even current ones that are writing books about risk management. But one of the, the, the areas that I really like to read on that's maybe not typical for many CISOs is I want to read about geopolitical aspects. Mm-hmm. So there's a book recently I came across called The Digital Silk Road, right, which mm-hmm. gives you a really good view of what's happening in, in Asia and specifically China. And then I really like the book called Deep Survival which is, you know, okay. why some people live or die or, mm-hmm. you know, what happens. Because, again, this, this, this deals with crisis management, right? And just looking at, well, how do you overcome crises and, and survival, right? And, and I think many CISOs are really stressed these days mm-hmm. because there's so much going on. But I look at other industries where, you know, if you're a surgeon working on, on, on you know, the brain, I mean, you know, it's, it's live or die situations. And so how do, how do folks in those situations overcome this, you know, uh, not panicking in a, in a crisis situation? Absolutely. I think for me, absolutely. That's one of the skills that kind of is lacking in our industry a lot is, is how mm-hmm. to deal with things like mental health and stress. Because in these roles, they are, they, they are continuous and mm-hmm. incidents always happen in the worst time. And, the, you know, the, the toll it plays in people's, you know, health itself is, is significant. And you're absolutely right, is that, you know, in, in the scissor role, while it, you know, it's very technical and very IT focused and application, and, and they do have a team to manage, and it's very, you know, it's like first responders, like that emergency room in the hospital type of thing, you're always on the go, and you're never, you know, getting that time to rest. Absolutely, for me, crisis management is one of the, you know, top things, skills that scissors should be looking to obtain. It's about how to make sure that they find the balance, make sure they're able to reduce burnout within their staff and people and even within themselves um so for me i think anything that really helps find that balance um is critical and the, the one that definitely i'm going to take a look at the one you mentioned uh, for, for sure um for me i think one of the ones that i really looked at was atomic habits uh, which is a great book as well that was about you know trying to change things you know small habits at a time um and uh, something that was very insightful. But uh, my next book is Rick Howard's uh, Cybersecurity First One. That's that's one that's on my it's on my to do list. I'm just, I just finished uh, Freaky Clowns FC's uh, How I Rob Banks and Other Places, which was fantastic. <laughs> um, would definitely highly recommend. And also Jeff uh, White's uh, Lazarus Heist. Uh, those are great kind of great reads. Uh, but absolutely, if, you know, for for a CISO, uh, anything that's in crisis management would be an absolute. Must must have for sure. Um, what what final recommendations would you have for anyone who's aspiring to be a CISO? What be what would be you know some of the steps or paths they should take? Um, I definitely you know one of the things you recommend, recommended just a, a moment ago was about network and people around you and finding even CISOs who could be mentors and and help you on that path. Uh, what what additional things would you highly recommend? 
I, I think as, as a security strategist and leader, the more you know about the different areas of security that eventually you may lead, the better it is. So if you have an opportunity to work in different areas of security within your environment, I think that would really help you mm-hmm. quite a bit as you, you know, move up in your career. And then overall, if, if your ultimate goal is, is to provide the overall strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, because having, uh, I will never forget what my first boss when I was in my 20s, early 20s told me, he goes, never forget what the people in the trenches are doing because they're the ones that really know what's going on. So even if you're in a leadership role, having an understanding of what they go through also gives you more empathy, right, in terms of what that role actually uh, entails. And, um, you know, hopefully you'll become a better leader from that also. Absolutely. Very great insights. Absolutely. Make sure you're not too far away from the trenches and you have a good connection there. Um, and, and at the same time, make sure that your, you know, your breadth of skills is broad in, in multiple areas because uh, the CISO is responsible for it all. Um, yep. you know, if you come from an application background or an instant response background or a software engineer or tech support, uh, you have to remember that, that yes, absolutely, you know, there's, there's more than those areas. And cybersecurity is, is a massive field by itself. It's so broad. Um, that's really important to make sure that you, you know, you at least have insights uh, and at least good knowledge yourself, but at, at the same time, surround yourself with really smart people <laughs> who can help you at the same time uh, and provide, you know, the more technical or, or in-depth areas uh, where you need it. Uh, Merica, it's been fantastic, absolutely, having you on the show and uh, really insightful for me. And, and it's given me a lot of things to think about and a, a lot of uh, next steps for me to go and, and look into. Um, any final uh, words or any final closing things you would like to, to share with the audience? Yeah, all I can say is whatever you do in life, right, when there's a stressful moment, don't panic. You know, take a step back, think about the realities, you know, talk to people that, that you trust. And, you know, have fun in whatever you do in life, right? Life is too short to stress too much. <laughs> Absolutely. That's very wise words is that we only, you know, the most valuable thing in this, in this world is time. And how you deal with it and how you use it is is, is the most valuable thing that you know, and, and it should be your first priority is, is to, to to use your time wisely, and and have fun at the same time. Absolutely, Merrick, um, it's been amazing having you on the show. I'm really hopefully looking forward to catching up with you in the near future for sure. Uh, for the audience out there, you know, definitely, uh, how how would people connect with you, or you know, if they have questions afterwards, what's the best way to reach out for you? Um, I can be found on LinkedIn, um, or I'm fine with people emailing me at medica.doubleshotsecurity.com. Fantastic. We'll make sure that we'll add those to the show notes. Uh, so for the mm-hmm. audience, um, hopefully this has been very educational. And maybe you're in a position where you're aspiring to be a CISO, or maybe you're in your first year, or maybe you're already a existing CISO that's been you know, you know, know, doing multiple years. Uh, I hope this has been very valuable. I hope that you'll get different insights and, and that this will help you further your career much, much further in the future. Um, so it's been fantastic. Uh, Marika, many thanks uh, for being on the show. And for the audience, stay tuned. Every two weeks, this is the 401 Access Denied podcast, bringing you thought leadership, you know, really amazing guests, knowledge, educational content to really help you on the future of your career. And at the same time, try to make the world a bit safer. Um, so thank you. Stay safe and take care. And see you again soon.